When I was in my early 20s, I was heading up an evening church service that was mainly focused on uh, being a worship space for youth and young adults. And our congregation was, wasn't huge. We might have had 30 to 50 people there on a given Sunday night. And we were so blessed to have an amazing um, team of people that were committed to serving this community talented young musos, other people who would serve, committed teachers. And we were a passionate bunch who longed to grow and to have more people in our church community. Uh, and one day I heard from one of our young people that they were going to visit another youth church in our suburb. And this was the first time I'd heard of this church. So it was obviously a new church plant, but they were gathering at the same time we were, they were aimed at reaching young people, like we were. Uh, and they had awesome music, like we did. And I felt like, what? Why, why didn't they talk to us? Why, why are they competing with us? Um, and my first reaction was to feel resentful and indignant. And I immediately assumed that they considered themselves better than us, too good for us. I realised later that I was missing something. But I can kind of relate to what this Samaritan village might have felt in this story when they heard that Jesus didn't intend to stay with them, but that he was on his way to do something special in Jerusalem, their rival city. You see, there was a long-standing and ingrained resentment and friction between the Jews of Judea and Jerusalem and the Jews of Samaria. A friction that went back, sorry, I don't know what's happening with the slides. I'm trying to, it's not that slide. Yeah, just leave it on the blank. I'm trying to control it, but it's not working. So, <laughs> sorry, I don't know why. Um, so there was this long-standing and ingrained resentment, this friction between the Jews of Samaria and the Jews of Judea and Jerusalem. And this went back for, for hundreds and hundreds of years. But what this Samaritan village didn't understand was that they were still included in Jesus' redemptive plans, even though his mission was beyond and outside of them. They could only see themselves and their patch, and they felt bitter. And if they'd have understood how far Jesus' mission reached, that it wasn't just for the sake of their rivals Jerusalem and Judea, but was actually for the whole world and included them, then maybe they would have been able to move beyond competitive indignance. Maybe then they would have recognised God's invitation to be a part of his bigger story. Because they could have ministered to Jesus with welcoming, comforting and strengthening hospitality. They could have opened themselves up to him as they served him. They could have been a celebrated part of God's story, rallying around him as he began his journey to Jerusalem for his suffering for the world. But they missed what Jesus was doing. They missed how God was at work beyond themselves. Like my experience with a new neighbouring church where I didn't recognise how God was at work beyond me, so too they missed his invitation to be a part of his story. And instead, what did they do? They reject him. And in verse 53 we read, but the people there did not welcome him. Why? 
because he was heading for Jerusalem. It's interesting to think that just like how we know um, his journey towards Jerusalem ends, so it's how it begins here with rejection. Now, rejection is a strong word, um, and one of its meanings is to spurn a person's affections and to not give someone the love and attention they want and expect. Because Jesus has expressed his concern and affection for the Samaritans. And we read about that in John 4. But maybe this particular village didn't understand or experience that. Maybe word hadn't quite got around to them. But now that they see that Jesus is moving beyond them, they spurn his affection for them. Let's just think for a moment. Like the Samaritans in our day-to-day lives, are there ways that we spurn Jesus' affection? Ways we don't respond to his affection for us. So we make everyday decisions that at best ignore his love for us and at worst reject it. And here's one of the profound mysteries of God's work in Christ. The irony that Jesus' rejection as he heads to Jerusalem and the rejection that he will experience there actually opens up the way for our acceptance. Acceptance, belonging with Jesus, belonging in his kingdom, his family forever. And this is actually one of Luke's overarching themes, if we've picked up on it yet. Who will be accepted and included in the inner ring with God? And even as I'm saying this, there's another paradox being unveiled to us here because what I'm seeing in this passage is how God's mission moves beyond us in order to include us. And God is always moving outside and beyond isn't he? Think of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, a community of perfect love and mutual delight who, in essence, just move beyond themselves in expansive creativity. Uh, we were so privileged this week, weren't we, to see these um, latest um, photos coming from NASA of the furthest, if that's a word, the, the furthest galaxies and stars and their light that traversed 13 billion light years. These photos reminded me of how incredibly expansive God is, that he exists beyond time and space, leaving not a square inch of our universe unfilled by his presence. This is who God is, this God who fills all. And so too, we need to learn that God's mission in Jesus is always moving beyond, beyond ourselves. But that doesn't mean that he leaves us behind. Rather, the invitation of Jesus is to follow him and be a part of it. But just like the Samaritan village didn't get it, so then in verses 57 and 62, these would-be disciples don't get it. 
Let's read from verse 57. As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, Foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. He said to another man, Follow me. But he replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, Let the dead bury their own dead, but you... Go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord. But first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, No one who puts a hand to the plough and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. Firstly, Jesus isn't talking to the crowds. He's not talking to people who are still trying to make up their minds about him. He's talking to people who have decided that they want to follow him and be his disciples. Now, you might think that Jesus seems pretty harsh here, doesn't he? I mean, what's he saying? That if you want to follow him, you've got to be prepared for homelessness, for separation from loved ones, and to let go of your own griefs and obligations? I think he's actually speaking right into the hearts of these people. I think he's saying that if you want to follow him, it means following him beyond your own attachments, beyond all your other loves, to people, to comforts and aspirations. And it forces us to ask ourselves, is there anything absorbing our hearts and our imaginations more than him? Is there something my life is oriented around other than him? Is there something my identity is kind of founded upon other than him? As Timothy Keller says, if God is not the centre of your life, something else is. And Jesus here is calling out half-hearted discipleship. He's calling out the excuses. Now let's face it, we all do this at times and often without even realising it. Sometimes it's like, hang on, just, just let me get my uni degree, then I'll think about that call that you're kind of placing on my heart. Or once things have settled down with my kids or my finances, or once I'm married, then I'll be open to what you're asking of me. And sometimes too, even our griefs, And our longings hold the central place of our hearts. And there are all sorts of longings that go unfulfilled. The longing for a satisfying vocation that grows dimmer as time goes by. The struggles of infertility and the longing for children. The longing for a companion in life and a true soulmate. The longing for healing the longing to find who we really are and to feel like we're really living, the longing to finally belong. When is it okay to pursue these things until we get them? And when is it time to let go and consider the possibility? Do we love Jesus more? Does God sometimes ask us to love him more, to trust 
that he's enough. That following him is a greater adventure than we could imagine for ourselves. That his dreams for us are greater than the dreams we have for ourselves. You see, following Jesus means being willing to move beyond ourselves. One of my friends, um, Jenny, she's a single woman. And when she was in her late 20s, she was a nurse and a midwife um, at a hospital here in Melbourne. And she felt that God was calling her to ministry overseas in Nepal to use her gifts in nursing and midwifery to minister for God through an organisation called InterServe. And being a single person is hard. It's hard emotionally, it's hard financially, it's hard so. So when God asked her to leave the security of her career, of her home, her friends, her family and her finances, God was asking a lot. But she decided that God meant more to her than all of these things and that she could ultimately trust him with all of those things. And through that decision, God gave her the courage to take that risk and to step out well beyond her comfort zone and her security. So at the age of 30, right in the prime of her life, she headed over to Nepal where she served for 10 years, practicing nursing and training other nurses, being a part of the local church and Christian groups. And she was even allowed to pray with patients and their families, people of all different faiths, often when they were in serious and dire medical and financial need. Jenny gave up 10 years of income, of career advancement here in Australia, and of involvement in the life of her family and her friends for the sake of God's kingdom. You know, some people have followed Christ and given up much. Some might call it foolishness, but Christ calls it a life of worship, a life that responds to Christ's affections. But letting go is hard, it's not easy. Loss is confronting, sacrifice is painful. And everything around us tells us that we're entitled to these things, to money, to love, to property, to family, to career achievement, to whatever it is that we want. But Jesus says, hang on, do you really love me? Am I really your king, the king of your heart? Am I really your greatest passion? Now, I really like the word passion. We tend to use it to describe something that we're super excited about, something that we love really intensely, that we're really interested in, something that we deeply enjoy. But the root word from the Latin word passio actually means to suffer or endure. Just like we refer to Christ's passion, referring to his last days and suffering and death on the cross. Yet what we see in Christ's passion is the reason, the outcome, the victory and the glory that he achieved through his suffering. And for him, how much this salvation for the world and his passionate love for you mattered. 
compared to the temporary suffering he endured and experienced. His suffering was worth it. His passion was for a reason, to the point of affecting eternal cosmic history. Friends, Jesus is passionate about you. He was willing to move beyond himself for you. And he wants your life to be more meaningful than you can imagine. But for that to happen, he needs your all. He needs your complete trust. He needs you to make him the center of your life. He needs you to decide that you're in, that you're not straddling the line of commitment. But it's not about Jesus just demanding your commitment. It's about love. He wants your heart. Simple as that. He wants your love, your passion. He wants to be the one that you're willing to suffer for. And for his love to pulse beneath everything that you are. He wants a love that moves you beyond yourself. Will you be someone who gives him this? Rosaria Champagne Butterfield, a Christian writer and speaker, she says this. Christ redeems. Even our struggles, our failures and our suffering are redemptive in Christ. But there is blood involved. There is a cutting off and a cutting away that redemption demands. Stepping into God's story means abandoning a deeply held desire to make meaning of our own lives on our own terms based on the preciousness of our feelings. We leave and we cleave or we never really understand what it means that Christ died in our place. Let me read that part again. Stepping into God's story means abandoning a deeply held desire to make meaning of our own lives on our own terms based on the preciousness of our own feelings. We leave and we cleave or we never really understand what it means that Christ died in our place. What's God asking you to leave behind today? And not just that, but what's he asking you to step into? If God was calling you to follow him, which he is, to follow him beyond yourself, into his mission, into his bigger story. What does that look like for you right now? What's going to be the greatest story of your life? Your ultimate passion. I heard a quote this week that I want to share with you from a French priest who on his deathbed wrote... All that is not the love of God has no meaning for me. All that is not the love of God has no meaning for me. Friends, God is moving beyond you. 
beyond us. This is his expansive kingdom that's never confined or restrained or stuck. Don't be like the Samaritans and these would-be disciples who miss God's invitation for something greater and end up spurning the affections of Jesus. Jesus is calling for followers who will step beyond themselves, beyond their own loves, attachments and longings, to find their ultimate love, their ultimate meaning and story in him and his mission. Let's pray. Jesus, we want to be able to truly say, all that is not the love of God has no meaning for me. Help us to have such a picture, such an encounter, such an understanding of your love and passion for us that we want to make you our sole love and passion. Help us not to spurn your affections, but to respond to you with all our heart, to let go of all our other attachments and to make meaning with you in your mission to this world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.